0: God's word to us this morning is in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Your bulletin lists only verses 1 through 14, but we will read verses 1 through 18. So this is Ruth 1, 1 through 18. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no. We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown?' And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Indra. All right, you guys, we're starting a new series, and I'm pumped about it. And if you uh, are leading a life group or you want something to go through during the summer, this book right here is a great one to work through. It works through the uh, the book of Ruth, and it's by a guy named Paul Miller. And it's called A Loving Life. It's wonderful on the interpretation level of the actual text, but then is super, super practical. Some of you are familiar with Paul Miller with uh, his book A Praying Life, and so I would encourage you if if you want further study, it's on the back table in uh, as you as you exit the sanctuary. Eighteen dollars. It's a little steep, but uh, it'll be worth your time. So. This is a special thing that we do every single Sunday, and one of the things that I'm always reminded of as we are together on a Sunday morning is that the Lord has been for- forging an eternal community since the foundation of the world, and that can seem very remote to our realities on a, on a day-to-day basis, but it seems uh, quite a bit more vivid when we all come together and we just simply hear the text read. And one of the things that we do is that we, we pray before uh, anyone preaches because we're trying to remember that these, these words are actually eternal, and they resonate with your soul, the eternal part of you that has always been uh, drawing you to itself, which is, which is what God is doing with Ruth uh, and Naomi in this story, and we're going to talk about that a little bit and how community works But as we pray, what I want us to all ask is um, for God to show us how to respond to our life when things aren't good, when things aren't the way that you feel like they should be, when circumstances are are not uh, great, um, because that's what's going on here in the text, and God does amazing things when we uh, anticipate his presence in the midst of that, and so when we pray let's let's all pray that God will show us that. We'll spend some moments in silence and then I'll pray. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, you have invited us into the community of yourself, the Trinity. And we see a little glimpse of how that plays itself out in the lives of these three women here in the text. And we know um, that by your Spirit, you still speak to us, you still draw us to yourself, you still uh, sometimes whisper and shout through our circumstances for us to return to you, to turn. Uh, Back to you. Even if we've left you, even if we've left the land uh, and sojourned elsewhere, um, we are here now for the purpose of hearing your heart towards us. And so would you speak by the Spirit? Would you would you draw us to yourself? And would you remind us that there is no stopping your covenant love? It's it's the strongest force in all the world. And so, would you overpower us by it today? In Christ's name, amen. So, what do we do when things aren't good? Um, we're going to look at that on, on, under these three points. Circumstances, community, and conversion. And uh, the, the first is the, the circumstances in the lives of the people in our story it wasn't great. And you, you learn that from the very first verse. It says that, so this is in between the time of the judges and when uh, Israel uh, got a monarchy going. So this is right prior to the, the Iron Age in the history of humanity. But in verse one, it says that there was a famine and that this is during the time of the judges. And what that means is that the economy was trash. And that there was a lot of political upheaval. No one was united uh, politically. And so where they were living in Judah, Bethlehem of Judah, it was was bad. Like it wasn't a great place to live for multiple reasons. They couldn't feed their families, and the government wasn't great. And so the story zeroes in on this one particular family, a dad named Elimelech and his wife Naomi. And their two sons, Malon and Chilion, and they fled to this neighboring country named Moab. But then when they did that, Elimelech uh, died. And that was bad for the family because the lineage uh, carried on through the the males within the family, and that's how you made money. That's how you protected the family. Um, But Uh, Naomi still had two boys to take care of her and to carry on the family name, and both of those sons got married to Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, and then another tragedy happens. You guys ever had tragedies in your life? This one's a bad one. Uh, Both her sons died, and so now you have these three women in the story, that don't have any protection, and have, they have zero way to envision a future for themselves. That was the way of the culture back then. I'm not saying that that's a good culture. I'm just saying that's how it was. Every commentator says that they were without hope, circumstantially. And as many commentators have said, you know, this story is named after Ruth, but it, it's really about how God is working in Naomi's life, through Ruth, and we we often think that God works through good circumstances. So if we're spared from something bad, like well, God was protecting me from that. But clearly in the Bible, and specifically in the Book of Ruth, uh, God also works through very very bad circumstances that His providence brings us about, and that's hard. And if you look at Naomi's life, I mean, her three areas uh, wherein you can face your life have just totally gone gone away. Her quality of life, she has no way to work. Um, She lost her love, her companion, her husband, and then she lost her boys. And so that's like a, a recipe. Some of you have experienced some of that. That's a recipe that will produce something beyond sadness in the heart of a human being, right? And she doesn't have anything left, or so she thinks, Um, last summer I was at this beach that I grew up going to since I was in the womb of my mother, and so this, it's called Tybee Island, Georgia, and I found myself floating in the ocean with my aunt and my mother, who are now older women now, and you know, like when when you're floating in the ocean with your mom and your aunt at 37, it's just a little different than when you were seven, but they were, they were talking about, and, and maybe when you're little, you just don't hear stuff, but you hear things differently when you're older, right? And my aunt and my mother started talking about some of the pain in the family, um, specifically in regards to their relationship with my grandma and how the, the pain that my grandma endured really, really shaped and affected my dad and all of my uncles and really our whole family, you know, I'm sitting there floating. I remember my aunt Trisha, she She's like, "Well, thanks for the therapy lesson, Matt." Um, and I and I had this I had this realization, and it's like it's simple, and uh, as simple as observing anything. But I just th- I thought that's where I'm. This is where I'm from. This is why I'm here. I I was produced out of the pain of the circumstances of these women. And there's two ways to look at that. There's two primary ways to look at your life when you consider your story. Um, you can say, well, God was at work in that, even though it was very hard. Or you can say, well, clearly he was absent, or this stuff wouldn't be happening. And the reason, the reason why I'm even telling you that is that the book of Ruth was written to teach the coming generations of Israelites that no matter what you see on the surface, no matter how bleak it is, no matter the circumstances, God's always working behind the scenes. Like he's, He's involved in the level of detail that's so intricate that you'd be surprised, even in your own story, that he's using and weaving into this tapestry of what we would call good news, to redeem you. Uh, The book of Ruth is a story of David, King David's great-grandparents. Ruth Ruth is King David's great-grandma. And though it may sound odd, uh, there would be no King David without the faith of this immigrant woman who attached herself to Naomi who is growing bitter towards God. That's the circumstance on the ground level through which God saves the world. (laughs) That's the circumstance through which the gospel comes into play in the story. So, point one, this is what you must perceive when things aren't good in your own life circumstantially. We all got things that we wish would change, right? All of us. Um, You never know what God's up to. You don't. And so the way of God in this life is to leave your heart open to the fact that he could be doing amazing things even though you don't feel it. Even though what you feel may be like Naomi, just straight up bitterness. And you can't blame her because she lost everything. That's what we do when things aren't great initially with our circumstance. And that's when we desperately desperately need community. This is where community comes into play. One of the reasons why Naomi is going back to Bethlehem is because she's got people there. She's got community there. That was the only way. So like back in the day, if your husband died and your man didn't have a brother, there's, there was no way for, for that woman to provide for herself long-term financially. Except to do things that uh, that you know uh, were hard on that that particular woman to to face, and so she goes back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, verse six, it means the house of bread, and she had heard that the Lord provided for Bethlehem, and so she decides to go back home. But in the midst of that transition, and some of you are in a transition right now, she has words of wisdom for her daughter-in-laws, and she says, "Hey, y'all." Ruth, Orpah, y'all need to stay in Moab because you're not going to find a husband if you attach yourself to me. Verse 8, she says, return each of you to her mother's house, and may the Lord show you covenant love as you have dealt with the dead and with me, and may the Lord grant you rest and a husband. But both Ruth and Orpah seem to have a great relationship with their mother-in-law, which is miraculous in any culture. and when you go through, I think part of what, what attached them is that when you go through grief and loss with anyone, it can, it can really form what feels like an unbreakable bond. And so Ruth and Orp- Orpah had been engrafted into Naomi's family for at least a decade. And Naomi clearly respects these women for how they handled her sons and how they dealt with their death. And so she blesses them. This is what Naomi does in the midst of that transition. She says, may the Lord Uh, show you Hesed, covenant love, which is a a major theme in the book. And even though Naomi's in such a hard place, she still has the capacity to bless her daughter-in-laws because they were her main source of community during her time of grief. Now remember, God's at work behind the scenes in all this. And often he does that the way that God works is often through community, through the people that are actually in your life right now. And we're about to see how God changes everyone in this story. And we often say here at Redeemer that we are a community that is constantly being changed by the gospel, that when God is presented in your life, You are, at that point, not in flux. You are either growing towards him or away from him. And in our text, we see three major responses to God's work in somebody's life. So if you look at Naomi, this is how Naomi responds to God's work in her life. She says it herself. When God's hand was in her life, she became bitter. She was moving towards sadness and hopelessness and cynicism because of God, she was an insider, and she was growing bitter because of what God was doing in her life. And you can't really blame her. I mean, she was dealt a very hard hand. The second response you see in Orpah, Orpah seemed to be a wonderfully loyal woman. She's probably in her mid-20s, And you can't really blame her for making the decision that she made to go back to Moab. And, you know, some of you may be in a position like this when it comes to God. Maybe you like you married into this whole Christian thing. (laughs) Like it's not something that you grew up with Uh, and you don't know what to make of it. And you may be at a place where, like, it just seems a little too foreign or risky to follow this God in your present circumstances. And it goes a little like this today. If I actually attach myself to a community of people who believe in God, uh, like, my actual real family and my real friends, like, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think I'm nuts. I mean, to, to do that, to attach myself to that. Um, some of you are actually going through that right now and that's that's a challenge and the temptation is to to go back to life without god because it just it it, re, it requires too much to attach yourself to somebody like naomi and her god is it's like a net negative for you and so you go back to moab like orpa naomi's bitter orpa walks away but then there's another option which is where we find Ruth, the third person in the community. So like Orpah, Ruth is an outsider. Some of you feel like outsiders here in this room. But she responds very differently than the other two women to the dark providence that has come into her life. She's got the same circumstances and responds differently. In fact, God is showing us how Ruth's faith as an outsider is going to change Naomi and become the seed of salvation for the whole world. But this is how it starts on the ground level, and it's pretty simple. Um, Ruth won't leave Naomi alone. She will not leave her alone. She clings to her. And I don't know if you've ever been through deep grief, but sometimes we need friends like that. That's just like, I'm not, I'm not going to l- let you go. Naomi blesses Ruth with steadfast love, but what Ruth does is that she lives it. She lives it. And here's what Ruth shows us. She shows us how to respond to our life When God doesn't do what we want him to do. That's where most of our bitterness and frustration comes from. If we follow God, is that there are things in our life that, like, clearly, if you were good, this wouldn't be happening. And that's not Ruth's take. When life doesn't deliver for for Ruth, she doubles down on her faith. It increases her faith the harder it gets. Look, that's how you know if you're really a Christian or not. Or you're just doing this whole thing for some other reason. Do you find yourself clinging to God more during trials, or when hard stuff comes, do you feel yourself growing bitter and sort of moving away from the Lord? That, that's uh, the important thing about hesed is this idea of the covenant. You always know if you believe this when you observe how you respond to suffering when things don't go your way. Look at Ruth's unwavering commitment. She says to Naomi in verse 16, Don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she didn't say anything else. Um, Ruth is a dangerous woman because, like she had given up, but in a very different way than Naomi. The the comedian Shang Wang says that when, uh, when you see a person who has purchased pants from Costco, you know that that person has given up on life um, and that you, you ought to watch out for them because you don't know what's going to happen because they have lost all hope, you know, when you see Kirkland pants and stuff, which, by the way, I buy pants at Costco because I guess in some ways I've given up. <laughs> Um, But seriously, Ruth is a loose cannon in all the right ways. And part of what this text is showing, and the whole book testifies to this, Ruth got converted here. There's more evidence uh, of that throughout the book. And, And some of you who've believed in God for a long time and you grew up with it. Look, if you find yourself kind of just being always agitated. Always a little bitter. I want you to exam. I want us all to examine what could be going on underneath the surface. But Because typically the reason is because our life isn't going the way that we think it should go. And the theology behind that is that we think we know better than God on how this story should be written. But when you're hurting like Naomi, you can't hear that. And what you need in those moments is a hug. You need community, and that's what Ruth does for her. Ruth didn't grow up with this God stuff, but she knows how to be a good friend. And some of you in here aren't Christians. And do you know that God could be using you right now to, like, convert insiders who aren't really converted? Because that's what happens here. That this is how God works through community in the most unlikely places, that even though Ruth's commitment to Naomi was foolish, you know, Naomi was a terrible evangelist. (laughs) and God still got Ruth through her. And the reason why is because there is no stopping God's love. Like, you can't stop it. God's going to get what He wants in the way that He wants it. And what He wants is an eternal community of people who look like Him, who spread His steadfast love into the world, and He does that Through very ordinary people. Some bitter, some faithful. Most of them seem like they're about done. And then God shows us his grace and love through normal people. And through Ruth's conversion, we're all converted because she kept the line of Jesus alive. That's her ultimate purpose. So, what do you do when your life continues to be difficult and, you know, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and that dark cloud of bitterness comes over you again? How do you navigate that emotionally? What do you do? Uh, You cling. You cling to God specifically through people that he's already placed in your life. If you ask God, God, will you put somebody in my life that helps me turn towards you again? Um even if that inkling is in your heart already, that that means that God's drawing you to himself. And so don't neglect those people in your life that you know will draw you to the Lord. They're clinging to you to bolster your faith. That's what Ruth does in verse 14. They all cried, but Ruth clung to Naomi. And in that... She was converted. I want to talk about conversion for a minute. Um, You know, many people are saying today, that's what I don't like about religious people or about Christians. You're always talking about the need to convert to something. And though that may sound like a fairly objective, open-minded thing, to say that, like, no one way of seeing the world is better than the next— that's actually, that's actually a statement of faith that we're dealing with in our culture, that there is no belief that's more important than any other belief, and so just please leave me alone with your proselytizing. Um, that's a way of seeing the world that's actually highly, if we want to say it, highly religious. Because we all, we, we, cannot, we cannot avoid indoctrinating people by the way that we live. Even if that means, if I'm sitting on the plane with you and you're next to me, I'm going to turn this way and put my headphones on because I don't really want to talk to you, you know? Like, that's, that's a way of evangelism, but it, it has a different worldview than what we, would, what we would want out of those who fear God. But the Scriptures are never just about critiquing secular culture. In fact, the Scriptures save their harshest critiques for those inside. And you see it here in this text, that Ruth's faith is far more full, it's far more passionate, it's far more engaging than Naomi's. And what Ruth is showing us, she's showing us that she's actually far more faithful than any traditional person. And she's far more radical than any secular person. And the reason why is because the gospel is always transcending categories and always eternally relevant. Look, if you claim to be a Christian today, once you start to believe in God, that is only the beginning. There will be times in your life, deep into your walk with God, where you're going to be thinking, I don't know if I believe this. Because of something that happens to you, dark providence, it'll feel like the hand of the Lord, like Naomi, the hand of the Lord is against you and you don't know how to interpret it. And you may not say that verbally, but your actions say it. Walk around with just this malcontent all the time, and it hits you. In your more honest moments, it hits you. You're like, I don't know if I actually believe this. And most people are scared to actually ask that question. And the beautiful thing about actually asking that question is that God tends to bring you, when you're really honest with him, tends to bring you his presence in very real, real ways when you get completely honest. And that's when you can find joy and freedom, even though you've been claiming to believe this your whole life. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist denomination, he started schools of spiritual discipline. He taught people how to be Christians. He was a missionary. And he went, he went to Georgia to be a missionary to the Native Americans, and realized that he was struggling. He was bitter, and he heard some Moravian singing. And he said, something happened, and my heart got strangely warmed. And then he journaled. He, He said, I realized something, that I myself, who went to Georgia to convert the Natives, was never myself converted. Been doing all this stuff his whole life, and never actually knew God from the heart. And people were becoming Christians through him. That's crazy that God works like that. And look, y'all, I've tried, and I did a lot of thinking on this when I was away in March. Um, as As I've listened to those inside and outside the church here in Lincoln, listen to other people in other cities, I sometimes wonder... If the reason why secular culture has so much disdain for the evangelical church, which it does, we all need to know that, by the way. I sometimes wonder if the reason why is because on the whole, we're not actually converted. Like the church is not like alive to Christ. There's all sorts of reasons why somebody comes to a religious gathering. But on the whole, I don't get the sense that most of us are coming because of what Peter says in John, where he's like, I don't know where else to go because I don't know where else has eternal life. Like, that's the motivation that God wants. That's where Ruth is. That posture has, has actually the power to produce communities that are resilient, which is actually what our world desperately needs right now. Talk to any workforce, schools, nurses. All of our communities are hurting. It is the most, ama- <laughs> it is the most amazing miracle in the world. That anyone at all is a Christian. And if you have lost your wonder at your own salvation, you do not have what Ruth has. Which is a faith that clings. A faith that does not hope in themselves. A faith that does not hope in circumstances. But a faith that says, I don't have anything else in my hands that I'm bringing to you, God. But I'm clinging to to the fact that you came into the world. Because, what else am I going to do? Ruth sees it. She sees, the, and this is the beautiful part, you know, especially for those who have, have left the church because it's such, such a hypocritical community. Think about Ruth. She sees that a broken community clinging to the right God is far better than a superior and easier community clinging to something false. That's why she didn't go back to Moab. That's why she went to Israel. That's why Israel was better to her. And though there may be many struggling in our world today, this is the one thing that's going to bring emotional stability and give us the type of rest that we need. And the church ain't giving it to the world right now, just like Naomi wasn't giving it to Ruth. Naomi was like, if you go back to Moab, you can find rest with a husband. And Ruth is like, I don't want that kind of rest without your God. I'm telling you, she's dangerous. She's dangerous for the insiders and the outsiders. That word cling is the same word used in Genesis 2, where it says, A man shall leave his father and mother and cling or cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. By the way, Ruth is a literary masterpiece. People inside and outside the Judeo-Christian faith attest to this. It's an amazing short story, partly because it weaves all of these themes throughout all of the Old Testament, the story of Abraham, the story of creation, the history of Moab. Um, It is is just amazing because of all the references, but also because of the dialogue. The whole story is told through the dialogue. And uh, as we come to a close here, I have... um, I've tried many, many times to watch the show *Gilmore Girls*, partly because uh, most of the women in the context of my life all watch that show, and and so I've tried. I've tried to incarnate into the culture, and uh, it's hard because I just don't get it. Um, but as I've assessed this, I've asked you know the women in my life questions like, "Well, what do you like so much about that show?" And they all say it. Just the dialogue and the cultural references, and it's just, it's just a great story. Um, and Ruth is a great story. But what's more is that God is showing himself to us through these women. And Ruth points to Jesus himself, and the point of this first section is not that, okay, we need to go out and be like Ruth now. If we're like Ruth, that's a gift from God that came from outside of us. The point is, as you assess your own life, um, there are hard things in your life that you don't want there. And part of slowly following God is learning to embrace that stuff. You don't have to like it, but to accept it. And know that the way that God helps you through that Is through community. And through that community, God converts you. And as we say often in this church, conversion is just not like this one-time thing that we're done with. It happens in concentric circles throughout the course of your life. So, yes, you do become a Christian, but then there are harder things that happen in your life later on, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, God loves me even more than I thought. He was at work even more than I could ever imagine. And that's what the story of Ruth is about. It just gets deeper and deeper and deeper into his love. And it's an amazing story. Um, Let's pray. And we are actually going to be in Ruth for the next six weeks, I believe. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Ruth. We thank you that you have given us the goodness of your grace and your love um, through this ancient book. And I ask, Lord, that as we assess ourselves, we assess our circumstances, we think about the ways in which we have failed you and failed others. It's really not the point of our lives. The point of our lives is that through our failures, through the ways in which we misinterpret our circumstances, through our fear of being misperceived, you're still calling out to us. And that's what confession is about it's about us turning back to you. And some of us are off in a far country like Moab. Um, and we need to turn back, and so would you use this time, Lord, here in confession and at this table to draw us back to yourself. In Christ's name, amen.